0: Hey, welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. This fall, we are rejoining and concluding our series in the Gospel of Mark, where we're learning the way of Jesus together. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on those of you who now know how to stand. I still sit down every single time uh, in this service, but we have started a tradition uh, where we are listening to God's word. This is how people would have received it in the first century. Uh, So please listen to this morning's text. And then after Bob reads, uh, he will say, this is the word of the Lord. And we will reply by saying, thanks be to God.
1: From the book of Mark, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I believe I've shared this before, but my son and I have an ongoing debate in our household about who is the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, I happen to go with a guy who played in Chicago. Uh, He happens to go with a guy who played in Cleveland and wherever he could get a trophy and that kind of thing, right? Right. And these debates never get solved, We just go on and on and on. And if we're honest, we like debating about these sort of greatest questions, right? Who's the greatest baseball player ever? Who's the greatest football player ever? What's the greatest car ever made? I learned at the car show we hosted here, that is a serious question. You better be ready uh, for some answers. What's the greatest movie What is the greatest book besides the Bible ever written? Who is the greatest band ever to exist? Who is the greatest pastor at Cherry Hills? (laughs) That's an easy one, right? (laughs) No, we love these discussions, and we all have opinions about what the right answer is. And as we already heard from Bob's reading this morning, this interest in these greatest discussions is nothing new. Jesus is asked in our text, his opinion, about what he thinks is the greatest or the most important command in Scripture. And his answer still has huge implications for us today as his disciples. Now, if you're just joining us, friends, welcome. We're glad you're here. We have been in a series walking through the Gospel of Mark through the last couple of years on and on, and we have called this series The Way of Jesus. And the reason for that, if you're following on your notes, is that in this series, we're spending time with Jesus learning to live the way of Jesus. This is what we're about as a church. If you wanna know what Cherry Hills is about, our vision is we wanna see every generation so great to celebrate multiple generations, even this morning, giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. And let's just be honest, there's no better way to learn the way of Jesus than to actually study the life of Jesus, which is what we're doing in the gospel of Mark. And today, as we continue this series, again, if you're on your notes, Jesus shares the most important thing to live in his way. In other words, today he's going to tell us what his way is all about, and if we're his disciples, how we follow in his way. And so with that, if you haven't already, I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn it to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, we say it every week. We have some available in the seat underneath you there. would love for you to grab that, be a first-hander in God's Word. You may have a device. It's going to be on the screen as well. But if you're using one of those black Bibles, you can find this on page 824. So let's look at this text together. We're just going to break it down, starting in verse 28, which says, "'One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating.' Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, I find this encounter interesting because we're right in the middle of this section in Mark 12, where all these religious leaders, all these different groups are coming at Jesus, asking him different questions, all for the purpose of trying to trap him. But here we have a guy who actually has good intentions. He's impressed by Jesus' answers, and he wants to know what Jesus' thoughts are on the greatest or most important commandment. Now, this question isn't as easy as it sounds. Just in the first five books of the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments, right? So this is a tricky question that they had been debating in Jesus' age. Just like we debate the greatest things, they were debating as rabbis, what is the greatest commandment and Jesus responds this way he doesn't hesitate right out of the gates in verse 29 would you read 29 and 30 out loud with me on your notes there it says the most important one answered Jesus is this hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and quotes from what is known as the Shema. You want to say that with me today? I know you do. Let's say Shema. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five, which says, Hear, O Israel. This should sound pretty familiar. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This confession of faith right there in Deuteronomy was so important to the Jewish people, they repeated it both morning and night, every single day. This was the centerpiece of their prayer. Similar to how we might view the Lord's Prayer today, that is how important it was. And it starts with this statement, right? This unique exclusivity of Yahweh, which is the name that we're given for God. It starts saying Yahweh, you are the only true God. And so therefore, if you're following on your notes, they declare right away that our love must be devoted exclusively to the one true command, to the one true God, excuse me. This is the command. They start with recognizing, okay, Yahweh, you are the one only God. And then it gets into this idea. So what does it look like to love him? What does devotion look like to him? Well, we're told in the context of Deuteronomy 6, it looks like obeying his commands all the day of your life. Now, that sounds harder than it is, right? I mean, that doesn't sound so easy. So what do we look at? There's 613 commands. What kind of commands are we looking at for him to obey here? A good place to start is in the Ten Commandments, which is kind of a summary statement of all of the commands, And in the first four of the Ten Commandments, it's all about how we devote ourselves to loving the Lord vertically. So let's look at a a couple of these, right? The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Sounds easy, but sometimes we place things in our lives. And that's why it says, don't make for yourself an image or an idol. Now, again, we might say here like, well, that's back then. I don't have a gold statue in my house or I don't make wooden things. But the truth is, We can put things, we can have idols that we place above God, right? Status, money, power, fame. These are all things that we're attracted to, to worship. But the first two commands warn us, right? Don't worship anything other than Yahweh. That's how you devote yourself to him entirely. Uh, The third one says, I'm going to keep going here. Third one says, don't use the the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, The name of a person in these days and ages was simply a way of describing who they are. In other words, honor the Lord completely. Don't misuse his name. Don't misuse his character. Don't misuse his grace, as we might say today. And then the last one is, make the Sabbath day holy. This was one of the things that set the people of Israel apart from all other people. And so the command is, hey, remember who I have made you to be. Set this day apart and keep it holy. These are four ways that they were to devote themselves to loving God. Now, you notice in this text, it also spreads these things out. Love the Lord with what? Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And we could certainly disconnect those things and talk about all four of those things, which we actually did to begin this year in a series we called Fully. But the bigger idea, of course, is give him everything. Give him your whole life. Don't keep things from him. He deserves it all. And this is why we have the vision statement we do, right? We want to give ourselves half-heartedly to the Lord because that's what he wants now we want to give ourselves fully to the Lord. All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. He deserves it all because after all, he is Yahweh, the one true God who deserves to be worshiped. And so listen, if you're following on your notes here, Jesus calls us to love God singularly and fully. In other words, don't worship anything else or anyone else and give everything you have to devoting yourself to him. Now, I would say Jesus nails it here. Good answer, right? I mean, what could be more important than loving Yahweh with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? But surprisingly, Jesus isn't done. Jesus combines this with the second command. He quotes from Leviticus 19.18, and I have that on our notes too. Would you read it out loud in verse 31 there on your notes? It says, The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Do you notice something interesting about the end of that statement? There is no what? You would think he would say commandments greater than these. But he uses the singular here. In other words, these two things belong together. You cannot separate them for Jesus. And the idea here, again, if you're on your notes, is that those who love God will also love their neighbor. It's going to be the natural result of our love for God. We will start to love others the way we love God. This is brilliant. The greatest teacher to ever live is Jesus. Rabbis were debating this. What's the greatest command? And many of them had come to the idea of the Shema, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, but nobody in history, no rabbi in history had ever combined these two scriptures together into one. And the brilliance of it is that Jesus essentially sums up the entire law. I mentioned the first four of the Ten Commandments. That's all about our vertical love for God. Do you know what the next six are all about? They're all about our horizontal relationship with others and how we treat others. Paul sort of Sums it up this way in Romans 13 verses eight and nine. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The command, the commandments, you shall not, I forgot my glasses in my office. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. One more important thing we got to note here. Who is your neighbor? Now, in the Old Testament, a neighbor was only another Jewish person. But as we've walked through the life of Jesus together, we know that for him, neighbor expands way beyond that, right? We know that if you're following on your notes, Jesus defined our neighbor to mean everyone, And this is what the religious leaders hated about Jesus. He hung out with sinners and lowlifes. He hung out with Samaritans. Ugh. He hung out with those on the opposite political side. He hung out with lawyers and tax collectors. Ugh. And he even goes so far as to say, our neighbors include our enemies. So this means I have to love Packer fans, and it's difficult. (laughs) But again, the big idea here, right, is we can't separate our love for God from the way we love other people. As is so often the case in Jesus' teaching, he gives us more than we ask for or want, right? His way is just not the way of the world. The scribe asks, which command is the most important? Jesus tells him, both. You can't separate them. If you're gonna love the Lord, you're gonna love your neighbor. If you're gonna love your neighbor, then you're loving the Lord. These two things cannot be separated. I like to think of it this way. Again, if you're on your notes, to love God is to love others. To love others is to love God. They cannot be separated. Mind is blown right now, isn't it? The apostle John would later write in 1 John 4, 21, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God, we just sang a song that we love Him, must also love their brother and sister. But in order to obey this command, again, we've heard this probably many times in our life. Yep, I know I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to love others. A lot of churches have that as their kind of vision or mission statement. But the question we need to answer today in 21st century American church the quote the 90s hit song featured by Saturday Night Live what is love baby don't hurt me if you don't understand that joke you are not Gen X so I apologize but let's be real here right if you don't understand what the Bible means by love, you're not going to be able to live out this command. And ultimately, unfortunately, in our culture, let's just be real, if you're falling on your notes, love has been reduced to an emotion or feeling. We feel love towards someone. And if we feel love towards someone, then we respond to that person. If I don't have that feeling of love, then I'm not going to respond to them. But in the Bible, love is not some sort of warm, generic feeling. It's not a wishful thinking that we have for somebody. It's not a Hallmark Channel Christmas movie kind of love. And I'm sad to say those are going to be starting on again soon. In the sense Jesus is talking about here, love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Sometimes feelings come with love. Sometimes emotions come with love, but the truth is sometimes they don't. And the word Jesus uses here for love in the Greek, you've probably heard this word before, is agape. Agape love means unconditional love. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 13. Agape love is the kind of love that says, I am deciding to love you. I am choosing to love you right now, whether I feel like it or not. If you're on your notes, agape is an act of the will that leads to action. In the Bible, put it as simply as I can, love is a verb. Love is a verb. And this is what Jesus means when he says, love the Lord and love your neighbor. It's an act of the will. That leads to an action. I mean, let's just take the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. It says, For God so loved the world that he sat up in heaven and felt bad for us in our sin. No, he, he sent. He did something. This is what agape love is. I remember talking to a friend of mine many years ago, and he was telling me he was thinking of leaving his wife, of getting a divorce. And when I asked him why, he gave the answer I've heard dozens of times. I just don't feel love for her anymore. And I told him in my most sympathetic way possible, I don't care. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you took that oath to love your wife, till death do you part, it doesn't say in that whether you feel like it or not. Love is a choice, my friend, that you have made. It is an action. It is a decision that you have made regardless of the feelings. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's love in the Gospels. Can we agree? In his life, we see what love in action really looks like. And so let me just break down four ways I see love as an action in Jesus' life and then how we can apply that in how we love him and how we love others. Obviously, there's probably dozens more ways that I could talk about today, but here are four that have stood out to me this week as a good starting point. So if you're on your notes, first, agape love is selfless. Do you see this in the life of Jesus? My favorite example is in John 13. Right? where the sovereign king of the universe who steps off his throne to become a human being gets down on his knees and he begins to wash his disciples' nasty feet. My family makes fun of me because I have a foot problem. I will never understand why somebody would want to touch another person's foot. His feet are disgusting. But here's Jesus. So maybe this is even more important of a story for me. I don't know. But here's Jesus in the most selfless act possible, getting down on his knees as a servant, taking a towel and washing their dirty feet. Just to make sure they don't miss it, look at what he says to the disciples in verses 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Now I want you to do the same thing with others. You know, one part of this story I was thinking about this week, I tend to forget. He also washed Judas's feet. I'm not sure how he was feeling about Judas at this point. Like I don't know how what he was feeling. I mean, he knew he was going to betray him, and yet he still got down on his feet and wa- on his knees and washed his feet. He loved him. Right? It was an act of the will that led to an action of selflessness. Now, I'm sure that kind of selfless love is really easy for you guys, right? It's not for me, especially in my closest relationships, especially in my relationship in marriage and with friends. I know I can see out here, barely, but I can see some of you. <laughs> and I know that I've done some of your weddings before. And if I've done that, it's Very likely, at some point in the service, I gave you a towel. And I reminded you as you're getting married, right? This is the kind of actions you're going to need to take, whether you feel like it or not. It's not natural for me. All of us in this room have been born selfish. Amen? Here's a little insight into my mind here. Don't leave me hanging up here when I talk about these things because I know some of you do this too. In my head, I play games like if I do this for my wife, then she'll have to do this for me. Or I sure hope she noticed I made the bed today. And if she doesn't notice, guess what happens? I get disappointed and I become less likely to show this kind of selfless love the truth is we do this in our relationship with God too. God, have you noticed how good I've been? I really want that blessing. Right? It's this sort of love that says transactional. If I do this, you do this. If I do this, God, you do this. Am I the only one who does this in this room? Yes, apparently. Great. <laughs> I'm going to say most of you do this. Probably unconsciously at times, because it's hard to love someone selflessly. So often we think, What is love going to do for me? But Jesus taught us a better way. He gave himself away for the sake of love. He gave himself away to his Father, and he gave himself away to others. And he asks us to do the same. How's that going for you? This is hard takes an act of the will that leads to action. Second, connected to the first, is that agape love is sacrificial. This is the heart of the gospel. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son to do what? To be nailed on a cross so that he could defeat death and sin for you and me. The cross of Christ is the culmination of God's love. And it's sacrificial. And in the same way, I'm just gonna be straight with you because Jesus was straight with us. Sometimes following Jesus is gonna require sacrifice. He would say it this way in Luke 9, 23 and 24. Then he he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Daily. Be willing to say, I deny myself. I deny my wants, my feelings. Well, I don't deny my feelings, but you know what I mean. I'm not gonna let those control me. And instead, I'm gonna take up my cross because that's what you did for me. And I'm gonna love other people sacrificially just like you loved me sacrificially. Loving sacrificially means dying to self. I'm gonna put you first, Lord. Even if I'm gonna be embarrassed at school for standing up for what it's right even though I'm gonna be ridiculed at work for saying, this is what the Bible says and I'm gonna stick to this. I'm willing to offer my life to you as a sacrifice because it's worth it. Because you've loved me in that way. And even in my relationships, I'm gonna do the same. I'm going to offer myself daily, take up my cross and put their happiness above mine. Jesus said it this way in John 15 13 greater love has no one than this would you read the last part with me to lay down one's life for one's friend that means if there's one piece of chocolate cake left you give it to me <laughs> third agape love is forgiving it just keeps getting harder This is the very purpose of why he sacrificed himself on the cross, so that you and I could be forgiven. And in turn, he says, I'd like you to treat others the same way. I want you to forgive the way I've forgiven you. The most powerful example of this for me in Jesus' life is there he is hanging on that cross, people spitting at him, beating him, jeering him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That would not have been my prayer. Father, smite them. for They know exactly what they're doing. And if he can forgive them, if he can forgive me, because I was there at the cross, then how much more can I forgive people who have done wrong to me? But let's just be honest, this is hard. I love the interaction that Jesus has with Peter about forgiveness. This is one of my favorite little interactions here. Jesus or Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 21, and says, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Seven times? <laughs> that's awesome. Like, that's a lot for Peter. Right? That's a lot for us, too. Seven times? Like, Lord, that's the perfect number. Jesus answers him, in verse 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, 70, I can't read that. Seven, 77 times, good, I got it. Essentially, essentially he's saying the number is infinite. Stop trying to narrow it down to some sort of like rule that you get to keep in order to forgive others. There's no limit for forgiveness. I might also point to these words that Jesus teaches us in the Lord's prayer. These are hard for me. And forgive us our debts. I like that. I like that part. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Ooh, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I don't know about you. That's sobering to me. And while it doesn't mean I won't be saved, what what he's saying is my fellowship, my love for the Lord is intimately linked to whether or not I'm willing to forgive the people who have wronged me. Let me put it this way. You cannot love the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength the way you're meant to unless you love others with a forgiving spirit. Now, I wanna be clear here. Forgiveness does not mean excusing sin, right? They still did something wrong against us nor does it mean that you don't put up boundaries in your relationships with them. Sometimes boundaries are love. But what it does mean is that it's releasing your anger and your bitterness so that you can start fresh in the same way that God has done for us. As a reminder, I just say this. If you struggle with forgiveness, remind you that it's not about the other person. Jesus asks us to forgive for our sake, so that we're not carrying around this busload of anger and hate that will only suck the life out of us and our inability to love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Break free from that so that you can get back to loving me fully and loving others the way I've loved you. Finally, agape love speaks the truth with grace. Sadly, in our culture today, truth has become the opposite of love, the way we define love. If I don't affirm something that's not biblical, if I speak against it, I'm considered ignorant or judgmental or intolerant. But Jesus' love never held back the truth. I could give many, many examples here, but here's one the world doesn't like today. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Then what? No one comes to the Father except through me. People don't want to hear that. But listen, in the same way that you would warn your child this fall, not to touch the fire pit, Jesus is willing to speak the truth in grace, telling us, I'm the only way. But that's why I came. Here's the good news. You can enter into this way. Sometimes love means telling the truth. It means calling sin, sin. Helping someone to become better. But it's always, always got to be done in the right spirit. And this is where I fail. I like calling sin, sin in other people's lives. But I don't always do it in the way of Jesus. Oh, how we need to remember this. A couple just application things I've learned over time. If you want to get better at this, truth truth with grace is, first of all, before you say anything to somebody else, tell the truth on yourself. This is hard for me to say this because I recognize that I fall short in our relationship a lot of times too. But can you see how that diffuses the situation already instead of just coming somebody and going, here's where your problem is? Second thing, I've learned never use words like always and never. If you're married, you like those words. And the third thing, I've learned is always use social media and not personal conversations when doing this. So again, friends, this is love, what it's supposed to look like. It's selfless, sacrificial, forgiving. It's willing to speak the truth in grace. This is how we live out the greatest command. I can't do that on my own. This is why Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit so that I can learn then to walk in the Spirit and not in my flesh. And guess what? The fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience. We can't manufacture that. It happens as we learn to walk in his way. Now, our story finishes this way in verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Did you know? This is the only time in the Gospels where a religious leader gives Jesus a compliment. Only time. You're right, teacher, great answer. I'm still waiting for my first from Pastor Brian, but maybe one day. (laughs) Now, even better, what's cool is this scribe understands something others haven't been able to understand, right? God's not interested in my religious activities. What he's really interested in is my love. He gets it. But then Jesus says one of my favorite things in scripture in verse 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared him ask you any more questions. What an interesting statement. If you did the Bible studies this week, I had you think about that a little bit here. But what does this mean? It means he gets it. He understands it's not about sacrifice. It's not about religion. It's not about good works. It's not about proving myself to God. It is about learning to love the Lord. So he's complimenting this guy. He understands. And yet he's also warning the guy, you're not quite there. You're almost there. You're not quite there. You're on a journey. We like to use this word today. I love that word. We're all on a journey. But at some point, we've got to make a destination. We've got to come to the destination. And Jesus is saying to him, I'm your destination. Learn to love me now with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's got to be a decision, he says. You're, all, you're close. You get it. You get it's about love. You're on a meaningful journey right now. But to get into the kingdom requires one more thing. Submitting yourself to me as your king. The only way into the kingdom, friends, is by submitting ourselves to the king. He is the destination. Now, the question is, did the scribe ever make it into the kingdom? We don't know. We don't know. The scriptures are silent. But what about you? Again, Mark, brilliant. He just leaves it out there. So here, I'm going to leave it out for you. What about you? Are you close? Are you on a journey? If you're still journeying, we love that you're here with us. But I just got to tell you, like Jesus, you may be close to the kingdom of God, but at some point, a decision needs to be made. Will I submit my life? to the king will i give myself fully my whole heart soul mind and strength to jesus jesus invitation to you is the most important command will you love me will you love me now maybe you're here today and you've taken that step way back in your life but you're recognizing in this message your love for the lord and your love for your neighbor has grown cold and you just needed this reminder like i did what love really is it's not a feeling it's not an emotion. It's a choice we make that leads to action. Maybe like Jesus, he might say to you, like he said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, four, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Good news. Today, we can renew our journey. Today, we can ask the Lord for his spirit to help us to love him and to love others the same way He has loved us. Again, friends, this isn't just gonna happen in our lives. It's gotta be a decision we make, sometimes daily, a decision I need to make today to be selfless and sacrificial, forgiving, and being willing to speak the truth in love. And so here it is, as we prepare for communion now, the ultimate act of Jesus' incredible love, let me ask you to consider this question. Have I decided, have I made the choice to love God fully and others as he loved me. Maybe today is the day. You know you've been near and you know the step you need to take. Or maybe today you just need to rededicate yourself to this. Your heart has gone cold. Your love has gone cold. Maybe for your spouse, maybe for the Lord, maybe for a friend, a parent, a coworker. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, we should examine ourselves before we take communion, before we eat the drink, the cup and drink the cup. Eat the bread and drink the cup. So here's what we're gonna do. It's gonna take a few moments for you to bow your head and to examine your heart. Bless you. So here are some questions for you to consider. Be honest, where is my love directed right now? (laughs) Is it towards the one true God? Is Jesus getting everything? Am I loving others the way He loves me? Selflessly, sacrificially, forgiving, being willing to speak truth, but with grace. And more than anything, let's ask the Holy Spirit. The only way we can live out this commandment, to refill us and renew us today with his great love. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church,
1: you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.